podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Spanish Football Podcast. I'm Alex Kirkland with Dr. Sid Lowe today. Hello, Sid. Hello, Alex. How are you? Sid, we simply couldn't find a time of the day today. It was absolutely impossible to find a window in which you, Phil and I could all be present for this podcast. Someone had to go and it ended up being Kitro. Kitro's gone. Philip better ya, Philip better ya, Philip better ya. <laughs> yeah, but after, after a decade of podcasting rather than four games in charge of Villarreal. Uh, it was extra- 12 days. <laughs> It's 12 days of me. Patience, patience. Wow. Anyway, look, we've, we've had a lot of patience with Kitro and there will be more to, more to come. Um, be, loads yeah. to talk about today, of course. Um, if you haven't already, guys, now is the time. It's always time, but now more than ever is the time to join us over at patreon.com forward slash TSFP. Uh, we'll have a Q&A pod on Tuesday answering your questions and a bonus pod on Friday discussing La Liga's midweek match day 14. Uh, you'll get the latest episode of TSFP Presents Top Fives, as well as access to all our previous TSFP Presents series. Uh, my paper reviews, which are no longer near daily, but are still a couple of weeks usually. As well and as still, access still, to the TSFP still world, Discord. World famous, though. That's the most Their fame remains unchanged. They're just not quite as frequent as they once were. Um, and don't worry, we'll keep the content coming throughout the World Cup, won't we, Sid? Uh, we will certainly be trying to. <laughs> I'm, I'm reluctant to make the, 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 the kind of dramatic Well, look, between the three of us. Yeah, between the three of us, we should be able to do something, shouldn't we? Yeah. Let's just take you through the results of uh, match day 13. Friday night saw a big win uh, for Girona, 2 1 over Athletic Club. Uh, then on uh, Saturday, Hetafe drew 0-0 with Cadiz. Uh, via the lead, a massive and quite impressive uh, win for them, 2-1 over Elche. A result which led to the sacking, once again, of Jorge Almiron as uh, Elche coach after, was it five winless games yeah. uh, back in charge? A goal from Barry Aspas uh, wasn't enough for Celta. They were beaten 2-1 at Balaidos by Osasuna, a brace from Chimmy Avila. Some lovely goals. His header for the second was spectacular, in particular, well, I, I thought. I'll be honest with you, I didn't watch this live, and I started to watch the highlights. I thought, wow, that's a good goal. I thought, wow, that's an even better goal. <laughs> I thought, wow, that's even better. Yeah. It, was, it was a crescendo of really, really good goals. You're right, mm. the header, there's something kind of beautifully brutal about that. Those are some there. serious neck muscles. Yeah, um, absolutely. The late game yeah, on Saturday yeah. was uh, Barca 2, Almeria 0, a game which served as a Camp Nou farewell uh, for Gerard Piquet. More on that in a second. Sunday started with yet another disappointment for Atletico Madrid, uh, held to a 1-1 draw by 10-man Espanyol. They needed another kind of angry substitute performance from João Félix off the bench to, yeah. uh, to save a 1-1 draw for them. Another 1-1 draw uh, between Real Sociedad and Valencia. Um, the aforementioned chance of uh, Kike Vettelia came from some Villarreal fans um, after Villarreal nil Mallorca 2 not a good result uh, for Kike Setien's Villarreal. And then uh, the late game on Sunday was the Seville derby. It lived up to its billing as the game that always delivers. Two goals, yeah. three red cards. I lost count of how many uh, yellow cards. All kinds of drama. Ten. ten, that sounds about right. Um, lots to, uh, to talk about there as well. The last game of the weekend uh, tonight uh, features, it's not often it features, uh, Real Madrid at uh, Vallecas uh, playing Rayo. 
Sid, unusually, uh, you weren't able to be at any of the, the games this week, this weekend for circumstances outside of your control. How gutted were you not to be at Hetafe nil Cadiz nil? <laughs> oh, and also the Seville derby. Yeah, I mean, the Seville derby is a real disappointment to not be at that. But the, the, the Getafe one, it's one of those where... I was going to say it's one of those where the scores are coming in on your phone or, of course, more accurately, where the scores are not coming in on your phone because there aren't <laughs> any. And I sort of kept double-checking and thinking, all right, so I, I didn't miss anything there then. Um, that, that doesn't, it doesn't sound like it was the greatest game. I'm not going to pretend yeah. to have gone back and, and, and watched I, I, it I'll again. be honest, I wasn't really, I wasn't really inviting a, <laughs> yeah, an analysis. An analysis was, of it, yeah. um, but listen, you, you, were, you were watching everything, of course, yeah. at, at home as, as always. Um, we'll get to the Seville derby in a, in a second. I think we do have to start with, with Barcelona just because this is the first opportunity we've had on the podcast to talk about the retirement of, of Gerard Piquet. Um, mm. One of the most significant figures of the, of the TSFP era, which is how the last decade of Spanish football is officially Absolutely. known as. Yeah. I suppose one way of characterising this is that while his, his retiring isn't surprising because he has sort of felt semi retired for for a little while now um the timing of this of this announcement was was a bit of a shock what was your take on him going and him going now Sid? i think there's a there's there's one very obvious way of looking at it from my point of view uh, and that is that this was pk kind of taking back control now i realize that that looks absurd on one level because he's fundamentally being forced out uh, you know he's fundamentally put in a position in which he's not playing. He doesn't feel like he gets opportunities. In which he's even had some fans on his back in the Villarreal game. He got some whistles. Of course, that was off the back of his really quite poor performance against Inter in mm-hmm. the Champions League. Um, and so, on on the face of it, you might say, well, taking back control by walking away, having been forced, isn't taking back control. But I think I think it partly is. I think it's about him saying, okay, I do this on my terms, uh, or at least as as much on my terms as I possibly can. I choose the moment. Um, and I think it's consistent with things that he said before. There's a very good interview with him in El País in, I think it was October of 2021, in which he made the point that he said, I'll never play for another club. You know, I'm not going to leave Barcelona and go and play somewhere else. You know, this isn't, he's not a guy that's going to play in, in Miami or Los Angeles or, or wherever, even though on the face of it, at least he's someone who would fit very well in, in those kind of places. And, and, you know, has the, the business acumen, has the quality of English, has the sort of international perspective and so on to have perhaps been one of those kind of people. The other option, and I must admit, I did, this did cross my mind the other day. So why not go and play for Andorra? the team that you own. But then that, that, that becomes very, very messy for, for lots of reasons. Um, so he was consistent with his suggestion back then that he would never play for anyone that wasn't Barcelona. He was also consistent with a suggestion that he'd made where he'd said, I'm not going to retire being a substitute. Now, obviously, you can look at this and go, well, actually, you did because you retired now that you're a substitute. But I think this is yeah. absolutely consistent with that because, of course, you never know at which point you're going to be a substitute. And so essentially what he's saying is, I'm not going to sit through the rest of the season on the bench. I'm going to go now. Uh, and he actually says in that interview, which is overlooked by a lot of people when they pick up that quote and say, ah, but you did. He says in that interview, obviously, if I get to the end of a season, I'm on the bench for two or three months and there's nothing I can do about it, then so be it. But I'm not going to spend the season sitting there. What's happened, of course, is that he's reached the point now, just in time for the winter transfer window, or just in time for that winter watershed. And he said, okay, yeah, I'll go now. Now, this is um, the way, the reason why I say this is partly taking back control is because by doing that, he puts himself in a position where he can have negotiations about uh, the, the, the final payoff. 
he can make the gesture of saying, right, I don't take away. And, and I, I'm, I'm very reluctant to accept at face value the figures that we've been told. But one of the figures was... Yeah, I've seen conflicting reports about, about exactly how much he's willing to, to give up and how much he's willing to exactly. expect to receive. Because, of course, you've got both what he would have been due to receive under the rest of his contract, but you've also got the sums of money which Barca still owe him, exactly. which he had volunteered to, to give up previously. Yeah, and, and I think this is one of the reasons why I'm so reluctant to, to jump on board with the 30 million f- uh, amount, which was the one that was originally thrown in, um, is precisely because, as you've said, he still owed that money that he passed up before, before, which, of course, in itself defines the fact that he didn't actually pass it up. He postponed it. You know, he put it off. And, and, I, and I think we need to be careful with not allowing ourselves to follow that. But I think what he's done is sort of say, OK, I'm going to not allow this to reach the bitterest of ends. It's already not quite the way I wanted it to. I'm already not playing as much as I would like. And, by the way, not playing as much as he thinks he deserves to. Now, I don't think that PK would claim that I should be first choice centre back when Ronald Adaujo and, and um, Jules Kunde are available. But maybe when some of the others are, he should be. And I think he feels that there's an economic push to get him out. I think he feels that there's a political push to get him out. And I think part of this has been about him saying, well, you know what? I'm going to do it now in my time and I'm not going to hang around and I'm not going to kind of ruin my legacy now. Partly that legacy has already been slightly damaged over the last few months, maybe. And maybe he should have gone in the summer. But in the summer, he was told by Xavi, you should look elsewhere. And he said, you bring in the best centre-backs in the world and I will still get in the team. I will fight back and I will prove it and I will get in the team. And he's not getting in the team. And that can be a combination of he was wrong, a combination of he's not as good as he thinks he is, or the other element, and this is an element that I think is in the back of his mind, I'm not being given the opportunities that others are. And one of the reasons for that, of course, is that he, as one of the veterans, has become kind of like a symbol of their problems. And so it's Mm. very, very easy for that kind of legacy to become a lead weight. You know, that idea of this is the guy that was always here to actually become problematic rather than something to embrace. And I think what he's tried to do is push it back to something that you embrace before it goes too far. Um, And I think in terms of the communication element of this, I think as he tends to do, he's handled it brilliantly. I I think he's, he's, as I say, it sounds stupid to say this, to say he's taken back control, but I think he kind of has within the context of a situation in which he wasn't really in control anymore. The inter-performance that you mentioned was quite sad, really. Um, but, it, but it was a little bit of an outlier. Yes, um, it was. He started yeah. this game on, on Saturday against Almeria, captain the sides, played uh, 84 minutes be- before being substituted off to a standing ovation. Afterwards, mm. there was you know, sort of a, a lap of, of honour of, of Camp Now, and then he took the, the microphone and, and spoke to the crowd Really nice little speech, actually, with some great phrases in there. There was the one where he said, you know, sometimes in life to, to love is to let go. Very much sort of talking about a relationship as, as if it were between two people, as much as between a, a player and a club saying there's so much love between Barca and I that we yeah. had to give each other space and air. Um, and then, of course, that line at the end saying, you know, I was born here, I'll die here, I'll be back with the crowd chanting yeah. president, president president (laughs) and this is what obviously i think tells you something as well about the nature of the relationship between him and the board that you know this is not necessarily seen as uh, from their their point of view as 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 being the kind of harmonious relationship they would have liked it to have been which perhaps by the way is that inevitable with aging athletes yeah i mean how often do you see it managed perfectly i mean you can look at so many examples of when it it goes a little bit sour there's there's a nice line that i think it's uh uh Manuel uh, Javois writes in El Pais today, which actually comes from Michel, the former Real Madrid winger. And he said, every player plays a season too far. 
the key the key is finding out when that's coming and mm. not doing so but it's very difficult to see it you know you said i mean i don't know how you translate this in english every every football leaves sobra una temporada you know he's got to see these plays a season too many i mean we've cited the example of of zidane before in his retirement exactly. as a player but that's kind of because it's so unusual and so rare that exactly. he knew exactly when to go and of course he got criticized for that because there was this idea that hang around for a bit stay you don't need to go yet but he was like no i'm going to go at this point now as we've said before partly because madrid were losing was one of the reasons why he he went sort of slightly ahead of time but i think grasping that is is really quite important um and i, I think in communication terms he he managed this really really well and i'm glad that you made that point by the way that the intergame was an outlier and I think this is something that probably needs to be stressed. And, and, and I sometimes feel like I end up being more defensive of PK than even I feel because I, I sometimes think other people are more critical of him than they should be. Last season, Gerald PK, for all the criticism, for all the accusations of him being old, for all the fact that, and it is true, that that Barcelona team tended to defend a little bit deeper when he was in it than when he wasn't. For all of that, he was their best central defender last year with Araujo, who also, by the way, wasn't always an automatic first choice. I found that absolutely baffling last year, that those two weren't the absolutely automatic first choice at centre-back. Now, that's not to say that I would have him as first choice this year, but I do think that his slip down the pecking order, for want of a better phrase, has been more dramatic than the slip in his performances. Before we move on, where would you rank him in terms of defenders that you've seen in your you know, 20 plus years in, in La Liga? Um, He's right up there, right? Quite possibly as the best. Uh, it's difficult to judge. I mean, uh, for me, there are three defenders that really stand out. And Barcelona fans may not be pleased with me for saying this because I don't actually include Puyol, who I think is brilliant. Yeah. But for me, there are three that, that, that really stand out. And he is one of them with Sergio Ramos, obviously. And then the other one I think people have probably heard me say before is Fernando Hierro, um, who, who I think was just an extraordinary, extraordinary player. Um, now, him and Ramos are very different in personalities. They have very different in terms of their... Uh, kind of public persona in Spain and the way that they're seen. And I think partly that's about the clubs that they've represented and symbolised. Uh, partly it's about the sort of the, the, the sort of cartoonish nature of, of, of both of them, actually. Different types of cartoonish yeah. natures, you know. Um, but I, I, I think PK is at the very, very top. It does feel a bit like the end of, a, of an era, doesn't it? Yeah, it does a little bit, yeah. Um, and we should say this was his last game at Camp Nou, but I think he's going to be, at least he, he might be involved with, with Barca's um, game away at Osasuna in this. Yeah, the, on, this the, only, the only possibility, I suppose, is the slight chance that PK has effectively intimated that he doesn't want to play this. That he wanted the end to be at the Camp Nou, not in Pamplona. Yeah, which would be under, understandable. It would be understandable. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm merely speculating on that, but that's the only possibility I can see for him not playing in Pamplona because I think if he does want to play, I think it would take a, a, a pretty cold manager not to give him some minutes. That said, of course, the nature of the game might dictate because I don't know about you, but I don't think this is a foregone conclusion as a Barcelona victory at all. No, no. In fact, if we get time later on, we'll talk a bit about, about Osasuna and what a good season they are having. Um, yeah. Let's talk first about the Seville derby. Uh, it finished Betis 1, Sevilla 1. Uh, where to start, Sid? Do we start with the late Golasso um, from Goodell? Should we talk, uh, talk about the three red cards, all of which had to be upgraded after referring to the pitch side VAR screen? Uh, do we start with the post-match antics and Monchi's chest beating? Or do we start with Jorge Sampaoli's blue tracksuit? I mean, so many <laughs> possible ways in here. I'm glad where you, to begin? I'm glad you said the blue tracksuit, right? Because I, I, I've written about this today. And I, I mean, I can't remember the exact line I used, but I basically said this was a game marked by 10 yellow cards, four red cards and one blue tracksuit. <laughs> because that tracksuit is quite it's something. It's quite a look. I yeah, mean, I mean particularly is. on him. 
because he's this kind of he's this kind of well quite literally but yeah actually I am going to stick with literally even though I mean it figuratively but he is almost quite literally a ball of energy isn't he he's this sort of <laughs> he's sort of this sort of round bouncing thing and in that tracksuit even more so um I, I, I don't know where to start. And I, well, I, it kind of, it's a game that kind of it always defies analysis a bit. But yeah, let's try and right, analyse it anyway. I, I mean, let's, I suppose let's start with the, the, sort of the, the, the basic chronology. So the basic chronology is that, in my opinion, and I think the fact that the chronology changes with the red cards enables you to then come up with any analysis you want post-game, which is why I think both managers can claim not to have been happy. But I think fundamentally both managers actually were even though they claim they weren't. And I think you could see that in the reaction from the fans, although that's partly a reaction of exhausted fans who realise their players are given everything. So regardless of how it ends, you haven't lost and therefore you can be happy. But Betis, um, I thought, started the better side. In fact, they had two or three really good chances. There's a Fakir one, there's the Alex Moreno one. And I think it's Rubial, isn't it? That has the other one. Yeah. Um, Three really good chances quite early on. 11 against 11. I think they're just about the better side, although Sevilla are starting to get a little bit of the ball when the first red card happens. The first red card happens with a Montiel challenge. Uh, it's a scything challenge. It's, it's a horrible challenge. He's, he's studs away It's one up. of those where I know that emotions are, are heightened and, and so on. But when a, a player complains about a decision so vociferously in the way that Montiel did, when you look at what, what, what he had just done, yeah, I don't know. I find it very, very bizarre. And like exactly. I say, I understand the circumstances and, and everyone's obviously fired up and stuff. Yeah, and I think, I think part of his complaint comes with the fact that he, he produces this really horrible challenge, studs up, um, catches Alex Moreno uh, on the left knee. I actually think it might catch his right knee as well on the way through. I think it might catch both of them. But the first one is not quite so clear. Um, but it's a really, really bad challenge. He gets a yellow card. And by the way, there's a debate to be had here. Here's a, here's a question for you, Al. All three red cards were yellow cards that were upgraded, as you've already said, yeah. by the VAR. But in the absence of VAR, would they have all been yellow cards in the first place? You see, I think referees... Take... Because referees rely on the crutch of having VAR to, yeah. to correct them I'll, I'll go for yellow, yeah. and if it's wrong, it can take it off me. Yeah. Or by putting it up again, by, by crack, yeah. ratcheting it up. Anyway, it's a terrible challenge. He thinks he's got away with it, which I think is part of the reason why he's so angry. The referee goes and has a look and says, actually, it's red, and sends him off. He then totally does his head. And, you know, he's really, yeah. They really have to... His teammates have to drag him off the pitch yeah. pretty much. Um, and then Sevilla concede almost immediately. Jesus Navas comes on as a substitute. And you know how I love this kind of thing. How many seconds? Jesus Navas comes on as a substitute to play his 22nd uh, Seville derby in Primera, making him the all-time maximum appearance maker level with Joaquin. So, and he is 49 seconds into his record-breaking uh, run when he scores a brilliant own goal. And it's, a kind yeah. of, it's the kind of own goal that only Jesus Navas, well, not only Jesus Navas, but that is very much like Jesus Navas. Because basically he scores it because he's running too fast and can't stop and runs into the it ball. Was one of those, I had to watch it multiple times before I'd even worked out what had happened and who the final touch had come off of. He's sort of running back as someone is trying to pull the ball back and he sort of runs into it. And it goes off him and off the bar, uh, off the side of the post, I think, or at least very near the post and, uh, and into the net. So Betis have the lead and they have a one-man advantage and they would be playing better even with 11. And you think that's it, it's done. But then you get Fekir sent off for what is judged to be an elbow. It's more a four. It's not an elbow. It's not though, an is elbow, it? is it? No, it's a I mean, I don't think, I think, the, I think he was unlucky. I, I think he's a bit unlucky. Um, but knowing the way that refereeing is, I'm, I'm not surprised. So it's a forearm, but also Papu Gomez, who's the person he catches in the face, is very low down. He's right behind him, he's very well, low I down. I mean, he's, he's always... He's always yeah, well, he's, yes, but he's... he's, he's yeah, that's true. He's but quite he's, short. But he's ducking yeah. in. So the arm isn't yeah. going up. The arm is going down and backwards. And it sort of hits him in the face. 
Um, and actually, to Papu's credit, well, I don't know if it's to his credit. Yeah, I think it's to his credit, even if he's wrong. I think this is to his credit because he says after the game, look, football is a game of, of, of contact. It's a game of rothy, which literally means rubbing up, but, you know, like physically kind of bashing into each other. And he said, and sometimes I think we're losing the essence of the game a little bit. And the things where there's no real intent, uh, we're seeing red cards for them. And he's talking about a red card that suited him. And he's essentially criticising it. And that's why I think well played to him. Not because he's right or wrong. Not because he's a good guy or not a good guy. Because, of course, a lot, I've had a lot of Madrid fans respond to me on this and say, but look what he did to Fede Valverde a couple of weeks ago, which was a horrible tackle, right? I think that's yeah. totally irrelevant. That's not the point. The point is, here's someone post-game effectively complaining about a decision that suited him. And, and I think that gives you far more credibility than complaining about one that goes against you. And so, so he's saying that I think maybe Fikir, he doesn't actually name Fikir, but he's talking in general terms, but he's talking about that challenge. He says, maybe this shouldn't have happened. Anyway, Fakir gets a yellow. They see it on the screen and it goes to red. And I'm a little bit uneasy about it. I watched it a couple of times. I thought Fakir meant it. And then a couple of other angles, I thought he didn't. Anyway, he gets a red and he goes. So it's now level. Early in the second half, Borja Iglesias, another player who I want to praise in a minute, by the way, for his reaction. Borja Iglesias mm. um, basically puts a full set of studs down the back of the ankle of yeah. Gian Jordan. It's an absolutely awful tackle. You can see, though, that as soon as his studs make contact, he tries to lift his foot up, but it's too late. He's already done it. It's a red card. Mm. Absolutely 100% it's a red card. Yeah. Again, though, it's upgraded from yellow. What I like about this from Borja Iglesias is he puts his head in his hands. He sort of shakes his head. He says to the referee, yeah. Yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah, it was mm. bad. It was, it was my fault. It was bad. It wasn't intentional, but it was bad. And so he goes. And so all of a sudden, from this game that's 1-0 to Betis, who are the better team anyway, and not only that, but of course the team that's in the Champions League place against the team that's in the relegation zone, and you think, that's it, it's done. Suddenly, they're a, ma- a man down. And obviously, it's not just the fact that they're a man down, but they're a man down having had two sent off. So the capacity to find space on the pitch for Sevilla should be even greater. Sevilla then completely take control of the game. They create one or two decent chances, but not really good, I don't think, personally. Um, Lamella has one, which he bends just past the post. And there's another one, I think, maybe even before the second red, where Lamella somehow doesn't kind of get onto it on the, near the far post. But Sevilla have all the ball. They're in the Betis half all the time, but they're largely kept at arm's length. The thing is, arm's length is not enough when Goodelli is around. And he mashes in... <laughs> An absolutely absurd shot from 29 metres that flies into there that's basically the same as the one he did against Mallorca, right? And so this is a guy that suddenly has scored yeah. two, two worldies in three weeks. Having he never, hadn't scored in La Liga Having, having before, never scored for Sevilla in 128 mm. games, right? He then, so it's now 1-1 and this is with 10 minutes to go. By the way, I didn't mention this. I quite like this quirkiness. Nine minutes are added at the end of the first half which means that Borja Iglesias is sent off in minute 48, yet somehow has the game's best chance in minute 55. How does that happen? (laughs) (laughs) Because, of course, the clock starts at 45 again at the start of the second half. Anyway, so you have Sevilla um, kind of pressing and pressing, but not, in my view at least, making really great chances, partly because I thought Edgar in particular was absolutely fabulous. Uh, now he's obviously learned everything that he knows at Real Oviedo and he mm. was completely brilliant um, Gudel then takes one on the chest and volleys it off the bar from about 20 yards and then in the last minute and it is and I'm going to tell you the minutes again I think it's um, something like 8 seconds before the final whistle no it's 12 seconds or something before the final whistle in the last minute Navas sets him up and he, he takes a shot and he hits it cleanly 
but quite centrally. And it's a brilliant save from, from Bravo. He said afterwards in the flash, I just needed to put it either side yeah. of the keeper and it yeah. was down the middle. He said, I was angry with myself because you could see at the end, he puts his head in his hands. Yeah. He looks like he's sobbing, doesn't it? His body is kind of heaving. Then he gets, uh, Rakitic comes over and he's talking and you can see he's saying, I can't believe I missed it. I can't believe I missed it. Then that, well, the bit I really liked, and I admit I've written about this today, so apologies if you've already read me say this. So he's talking to Navas, kind of, I can't believe it. Then he's talking, sorry, he's talking to Rakitic, then he's talking to Navas. Then he's waiting to do his post-match interview while Edgar is talking. And oh, he's yes, in the you background. can see him in the background. And he's yeah. pacing. You can see he's pacing, yeah. pissed off with himself still. You know, he's going, and he comes over and he's sort of biting his lip and he says, I'm really angry with myself. Uh, no, un poco. I'm a bit angry with myself. And he said, I should have put it to either side. So, right, to, to, to resume this, and we've done quite a long report of it now, to resume this, in 14 minutes, he almost scored the most ridiculous hat-trick of all time in 14 minutes of a derby away at Betis when he's not even a forward. He's a, he's a defender. In fact, he's a midfielder playing at the back at the moment. And he almost scores this absurd hat-trick from a combined distance of probably about 90 yards. Right? <laughs> and he doesn't, obviously. And that would have been three times as many goals in one 10-minute spell or 14-minute spell as in the previous 127 games put together. And it doesn't quite happen. He's pissed off. But there you go. That's the, that's the that is report. That is the Seville derby for you um but it's not because as you say it kicks off afterwards oh yes of course yes let's mention that before we before we move on both clubs ended up on un- unhappy i mentioned monchi he quite likes i don't think it's unfair to say that he quite likes to sort of be the center of attention marching I onto the pitch does, at yeah. full time to kind of beating his chest and kind of saluting the traveling severe fans um that irked a number of the Bettys, I think it was the coaching staff who sort of went went after yeah. him, basically. Um, subsequently, and so did Canales. Yeah, subsequently, Sevilla have also complained about the TIFO that the Bettys fans had displayed before the match, which was kind of making fun of what happened in the Copa del Rey game that was abandoned uh, last season. So yeah, the, 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 um, there's talk of Monchi not being welcomed back at the Benito Villa Marine. So well, part of it, part of it, of course, is about as you say about Monchi's character, and this is what he often does. But I, I wonder if this is expressed a little bit more exaggeratedly because Monchi knows that he's under pressure and he knows he hasn't done a good job this summer, mm-hmm. and that what's the best way to win people down? Well, to be a populist, to be honest. Now that's a little bit harsh, yeah. and, and, and I and I and I would always, always, always defend Monchi because I think his record is fantastic because I think his um, his commitment to Sevilla is absolutely genuine and he absolutely does feel it. And I also, for what it's worth, don't think it's that terrible what he did. No, it's a bit no. hammed up, but I, I really don't think it's a particularly terrible thing. It's just not I, something I, you I, tend to see from a sporting director, okay? Exactly. From a manager, you can imagine, you know, Mourinho doing it for the club that he's mm. managing or something, but not. Not an executive of the club no. coming out onto the pitch at, exactly. at, at the ground of your biggest rival. Is that, that's, exactly, yeah. exactly. I, also, I don't know about you, but I love the referees report. Uh, and I love the formal language that referees <laughs> yes. reports always use. But the one really good one was he, he, he said there was an altercation in the tunnel. He heard, he was in his dressing room, there was an altercation in his tunnel. He said, when we went out to see what was going on, <laughs> they disappeared back into their own dressing rooms and we couldn't identify who'd been involved. Now, I don't know about you, but that was so much... So in my mind, that was so much like the, the teacher when, uh, when a school kid, the kids have all gone on a school journey and they're in like a hotel or a youth hostel or something and the teacher hears them having a pillow fight in the, cor- the corridor and yeah. he comes out of his room and all the kids disappear. Yeah, or someone's knocked on your door and then just ran away. Yeah. Like, rung your doorbell and then run, ran off. Yeah, and so we don't know who it was. <laughs> no. Um, listen, like I said, loads more to, to touch on briefly, Sids. I want to touch on Atletico Madrid because it had been some week for them. They followed up 
losing in, in the last, last minute to, to Cadiz and finishing bottom of their Champions League group by drawing uh, 1-1 uh, against a 10-man Espanyol. Yeah. A really, really fascinating admission from Jan Oblak after the, the match. Credit to him, he always or very often steps up and gives these post-match interviews in quite difficult circumstances. Admitting that, psycho- he said, psychologically, we aren't... We aren't right. Yeah, he actually. And for a team that you feel like so much of their success previously was based on based yeah. on being psychologically absolutely right, that seems quite significant. And I think it's significant as well in terms of the role of Simeone, because we're talking about a guy that, yes, of course, has a tactical approach and has an idea, but it's also about his his ascendancy, if you like, over the group. And if the psychological state of the team isn't good, that suggests that for whatever reason, his message isn't reaching them or he's not able to bring them together in the same way. And I like the fact that Oblak followed that up, because I think you could just sort of throw that away as a line by then, then making the point that something like, it's clearly not foot physical at one point. And he says, so, so it's in the mind. Um, yeah. And I thought that was very striking, and I think that tells you that there's, there's problems. I think, it, I think the footage of Jal Felix is very interesting. I, I don't know if you've seen this. He's on the touchline, and, and some of the fans in the south stand are having a go at him. And he basically points at the bench as if to say, well, ask him, not me. You know, this isn't about me. Obviously, it is about him as well, of course. Um, but I thought that was a, a very interesting. And look, put bluntly, and, and I realise there's a contradiction here because a couple of weeks ago, when we were looking at their away results and thinking, what was it? Sevilla, Athletic, Valencia, Real Sociedad, uh, Getafe, and all of them wins except for uh, Real Sociedad, which is a draw, against really strong teams. I remember a couple of weeks ago saying, I wonder if there's a touch of the old Atletico happening. And we were talking about the way that 4-4-2 seemed to mean that they felt comfortable again. But any sense of that has completely vanished, doesn't it? Very weird um, atmosphere for this game as Mm. well, because the Frente Atletico had announced kind of a boycott effectively. They stayed outside for the first half. And then when they did come inside for the second half, they didn't make any noise. And so it did make for for quite a weird atmosphere at the at the Metropolitano. A yeah. yeah. couple of other things to touch on, Sid. Uh, we mentioned Kike Setien's struggles so far at Villarreal. The stats uh, for their 2-0 home defeats, well, sort of home defeats, of course, they're not actually playing at the Ceramica, but still, Tomiyoka were quite illuminating. Villarreal had 71.4% possession. Uh, they had 752 touches, Tomiyoka's 394. Um, you know, twice as many passes attempted, more shots, but fewer shots on target, and of course, no goals. We've touched on over the last couple of weeks, I think it is maybe a little bit unfair to judge coaches who've come in over the last month right now because they've had so little time to work with these players on the training ground. And that's especially true of a coach like uh, like, like Setien. But there is no doubt that he is under pressure already. Yeah. And, and curiously, I suppose the, the one contradictory part of that is that he hasn't had time to work on them and to get them to be the team that he wants them to be. But one of the things that's striking is that they They've really adopted some of the characteristics of his be. teams already, and, yeah. And that, that's one of the reasons why I think the fans are, are worried about this. Because it's not just he's coming in and they haven't played very well. It's that he's coming in and I've got the stats here. Um, although they slightly contradict yours, but I mean, more or less. You said 71.4. It, oh, it, yeah, it depends on whose stats we are using. I mean, it depends who you read, yeah. So I, I saw 73% in this game, lost 2-0. 70% in the game against uh, Lech Poznan, lost 3-0. 57%, which is not that high, against Athletic, lost 1-0. 75% against Hapoel and lost, what was it? Was it 1-0 in that one as well? I actually haven't got the result for that one. I've just got the percentage. Um, and so I think one of the things that, that would concern the fans is the sense that not just that this isn't going well, but this isn't going well in the direction that we feared it might not go well. And, and, and that, I think, is one of the reasons why that they can turn specifically on Setien rather than on something broader. Um, now, as I said when he came in... <laughs> 
I'm perfectly prepared, by the way, in a few weeks' time to say I was completely wrong. I felt like he was someone that, in theory at least, had the kind of players that could be good for him. Um, and, and that he, in theory, could be the kind of manager that could be good for this club. Why? Because I think, technically, they're the players that would suit him. I think it doesn't have the degree of pressure. In fact, I think it's a very low-pressure club in some ways, Villarreal. Mm. Now, I don't want to overstate that, because, of course, it's an ambitious club. It's certainly got a, an entourage, but it's an internal entourage, if you like, with its president, yeah. rather than a sort of noisy entourage like at Barcelona. Um, and I think it's got largely a pretty good dressing room. Uh, one or two characters that, that maybe are not quite so easy, but, but largely a pretty good wrestling room. So I felt like this actually could work for him. I just wonder if maybe one of the things about Kike, and I've, I've always said this, none of what he says or does is an act. He absolutely yeah. believes in this. But I wonder if part of that belief is what makes him so open about it. And that's actually what puts people's backs up a little bit. Before we go, Sid, a word on today's uh, Champions League and Europa League draws. Real Madrid again facing Liverpool. Uh, in the Champions League round of 16. Uh, Barcelona playing Manchester United and Sevilla uh, playing uh, PSV in the Europa League. Uh, thoughts? Well, I mean, I suppose the first thing to say is that, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll give you my initial thought from, from the thing that's most immediate to me, which is the fact that I was in Don Osti, of course, for Real Sociedad's game against Manchester United. And afterwards, I, you know, I started to think, have I overplayed the fact that Man United didn't win this group? It doesn't really matter. They'll probably get someone they beat in the playoff. They'll go through easily. Now they've got Barcelona. I now think, you know what? It's actually really significant that they didn't win that group. And obviously, by extension, significant that Real Sociedad did. Yeah. Um, now, Real Sociedad, I, correct me if I'm wrong, Al, I think they couldn't get Barcelona because they're the same country. Um, but, but, you know, they could have got someone really difficult. Mm. Um, I think it's bad news for Barcelona as well because I don't necessarily think Barcelona are favourites in that. Let's see what kind of state they're in in February. Um, and, and, and I think it, you know, it's, it, it's a really nice-looking Europa League. The pity, I suppose, is that teams like Madrid, uh, sorry, Manchester United and Barcelona, one of them has to go out. It's a pity that we don't have them for, for more of the tournament. Uh, and also, I don't know about you, I, I quite like the fact that Luke de Jong is going back to Seville. Yes, yes. Yes. Before we go, a quick mention of the Segunda Oviedo 1, Sid's 1-0 against Granada. They are up to, they are surging up to 17th place in the, <laughs> in the table. Uh, elsewhere, Alaves are top after beating Zaragoza 1-0 on Friday. Las Palmas are second. They drew one all with Eibar. Uh, level on points with them are Burgos, who were beaten 1-0 at home by Tenerife to end goalkeeper Jose Antonio Carros. Spanish record, 1,293 minutes without conceding a goal. Terrific um, stuff. Oh, and also in the um, Liga F, uh, Barca beat Real Madrid 4-0 at the Alfredo uh, Stefano on uh, Sunday. Barca have still won every meeting between yeah. uh, those uh, two. That, that might be significant, by the way, just to very quickly to throw it in on that. Go on. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but the very clear confrontation at full time between Aitana Bonmati yes. and Misa, uh, obviously on opposite sides, if you like, of this divide with the, in the Spanish national team, mm. And I think that tells you that this is not going to be fixed anytime soon. Yeah, very interesting indeed. Um, we've got a, a full set of uh, league fixtures this week. The last ones, of course, before the World Cup break. Uh, on Tuesday, it's Elche, Girona, Athletic via the lead. And uh, the game that Sid mentioned, Osasuna, Barca. On Wednesday, Almeria, Getafe, Sevilla, La Real, Espanyol, Villarreal and Mallorca, Atleti. And on Thursday, it's Rayo, Celta, Valencia, Betis and Madrid uh, Cadiz. We'll be talking about all of those games in the uh, the bonus pods uh, later this week for patrons. If you can't join us over at patreon.com forward slash TSFP, don't worry, we'll be back as always. There may be no more league fixtures, but the pods will keep on coming every week for you guys uh, through the World Cup as well. So we'll speak to you very soon. Bye-bye for now. Cheerio. 
Podcast Network.